Serum Visions is a Magic the Gathering podcast about iterative brewing. Each episode, we work on a project, a deck, strategy, or archetype that we think has room for exploration and brew to the fringes of competitive deck building. In this episode, we check in on the field tests for Project Urza, discussing our deck list from episode one, what worked, what didn't, and where we plan to take Urza next. After that, it's back to the lab where we'll open our next project, Project Mentor. Monastery Mentor is one of few cards that occupies space on the vintage restricted list due to power level, but sees little to no play in other eternal formats. We'll look at the history of Monastery Mentor in competitive play, examine what conditions are necessary to make the card playable, and cook up some Mentor brews. Have a sip of your Blink Moth tonic and open your third eye. This is Serious Welcome to episode two of Serum Visions. I am one of your hosts, Brian Madden. Joining me via holographic projection from the future past is a man unconstrained by the limits of space and time. He is the practical physicist, Zach Ryle. How are you, Zach? I'm doing really, real well. Um, fall hit us like a, a, a chilly hammer. All of a sudden, it was down to uh, 16 degrees Celsius, which is I, I think in the low 60s in freedom units. So uh, it was uh, it was chilly the last little while, and the uh, outdoor patio at the at the restaurant has been uh, has been taking a hit in terms of popularity. But it also means that it's going to be time for you know warm apple cider and uh, getting getting hanging around the fire, maybe mixing up some eggnog. It's all it's all on the way. Winter's coming, so uh, I'm excited for the seasonal stuff. I really like the fall. Generally, autumn is is uh, I like the color palette, and I like the ability to wear sweaters. You know. It's just comfy. Can always put more more layers on, like you said last week. Uh, <laughs> also with me, fresh from the tomato patch, a man who speaks little but does much, Arun Singh. How are you, Arun? I'm doing pretty well overall, uh, given the circumstances. Unfortunately, I actually haven't been able to make it out to the tomato patch in like a week or two. I was going to go last week, but then we had this terrible air quality and forest fires in very close to Portland. And the city preemptively declared a state of emergency, and they closed all the public things, including community gardens, which is rather unfortunate. But tomorrow is the first time we have air that is, uh, the level is unhealthy for sensitive uh, populations, uh, but otherwise it's okay, which is like the best air we've had in a while. So that's going to be exciting, and hopefully should be making it back to the tomato patch soon enough. Awesome. Well, I uh, hope you have clean air very soon. I recently got off of a very similar situation, so I feel your pain there. So uh, last episode, we started Project Urza, where we uh, came up with some cool Urza brews to try and get Urza, you know, performing a little bit better. Um, But before we dive too deep into Urza, let's uh, maybe talk a little bit about the meta and some of the changes that we've seen um before we we recap last week and uh, dive into our next project yeah there's been some wild wild stuff going on huh yeah absolutely so uh it's been about two weeks since the last episode released and in the time leading up to the release of the zendikar cards i was seeing kind of the same old stuff um i saw a lot of prowess in leagues that i played 
uh, actually a ton of prowess. Uh, I think like seven of my 10 matches in the you know last two leagues were prowess. Uh, and then like an amulet Titan and a Jund or something like that. Um, but since then there's, there's been some wacky stuff popping up. Have you guys seen this, uh, quote air quote, uh, landless Charbelcher deck and, uh, some of those other wacky things. Oh yeah. I think it's good to mention that this recording is like on actually the day that Zendikar return battle return to Zendikar, no, Zendikar rises. But with something similar to that, that comes out on Magic Online, and with it, a whole bunch of interesting things. And so, yeah, there's. I haven't seen any in the queues yet, but I've watched some streamers play uh, the Goblin Charbelcher lists that play all the modal lands. And yeah, I mean, there's gonna. I've seen a couple Omnath uh, landfall brews, and so yeah, I mean, it's gonna be. You know, like the meta is gonna have a huge shift just starting today relative to what it has been these past two weeks, which is definitely going to be very interesting and you know make for some good fun brewing. yeah if you thought uh uro was going to be ripe for a ban before now just wait until the land matters set comes out <laughs> <laughs> i hope not i have i love my uro well growth growth spiral was banned in standard so standard is uh, apparently going to be safe i'm sure but uh i i uh while i'm excited for uh zendikar rising i will say i think the general shape of it does look like a bit of a cooler um and for anyone who's unclear on the term, it just means that the power level is going to take a bit of a dip. Uh, I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of cards in the set that I think are particular rock stars, but we've been proven wrong before. When Eldraine came out, it really didn't look like anything spectacular. And things like the adventure cards have become staples of so many formats um, because of their modality. And um, obviously those have a lot of sort of inbuilt card advantage um which the double-faced modal cards of zendikar don't have that but they do add consistency and to your deck building in a way that i i think is probably sneakily powerful but that said um before we get into the cards that haven't actually seen the light of day yet or or just barely have uh i think we should talk about this weekend's challenges um because they were completely nuts um the the challenges occurring on september 13th and 14th um while they were both won by five color humans which is a long uh, established deck in the format um there were some wild wild other decks did you guys see these yeah there was one by uh mr rayab uh who is uh, a, a Fairly notable grinder. I see him uh, on the, the trophy leaderboard pretty frequently, and he's also a member of the Faithless Brewing community. Uh, he took second place, I think, in the Saturday challenge with an Urza list that was jamming four copies of Chalice of the Void in it. Yeah, um, we're, we're going to talk about that one in, in depth a little bit later um, because I, I played that this week on stream and, and all that. Um, and besides that, like... If that wasn't wild and spicy enough, uh, Nikachu was fourth place in that tournament with Merfolk. Um, Merfolk. Merfolk. <laughs> uh, Jiggy Wiggy's nemesis. Oh, and nemesis. then after, after Cave Dan's heart, sixth place, Artem Kutin with mono-white devotion with seven border posts. Four field mist border post and three wild field border posts. So both the border posts that include white in their uh, mana cost. So these will add to your devotion to white. 
um, ley line of sanctity. So we'll, we'll have this linked in the show notes, but I'm going to, I'm going to uh, rip off the list real quick right here. So they were playing four Oriok champion, two Daxos blessed by the sun, one Elish Norn grand Cenobite, four Heliod sun crown, four Knight of the white orchid, four walking ballista, four weathered wayfarer, the aforementioned uh, seven border posts, Four Ley Line of Sanctity main deck, four Mastery of the Unseen, three Ruined Halo, four Ghost Quarter, four Nykthos Shrine to Nyx, and 11 Snow Covered Plains. Uh, Rockin' the Snow Covered, gotta represent, love that. Um, but more to the point, what is this? De- like, so uh, Gabriel Nassif and a few other people have been successful in the last little while playing um, Soul Sisters to like five O's and, and reasonable success in competitive challenges, which I, I think like Mr. Rabe's um, choice of putting chalice in the Urza deck, um, these were a meta call because you got a lot of free wins against prowess by playing Oriok champion and, and similar effects in your main deck. And this one is just, I, how is this like they made top eight in a challenge? Like people were playing blue soup decks. How is this ever going to beat? <laughs> the blue suit. I have to play this. This is so wild. Well, what spell do you counter? What what spell? What spell do you counter? Well, I just like. How, but how are you ever going to kill them? What do you <laughs> kill them with? There's nothing in this deck that's going to kill them. Heliod. Heliod combo. Yeah, there's a creature or two in there. This is a freaking weathered wayfarer. <laughs> like what? Hey, if like, Snapcaster can get there, then your weathered wayfarer can get there too. Okay. All right. All right. Maybe. I just I I don't understand how this was a thing, but it was. That's so cool. Um, and there was also um, right under that Musasabi Musasabi seventh place um, playing green white uh, vileless titan. So this is not Green White Vile Titan that uh, Francisco F. Pozla's made famous uh, in the last little while. This is a Green White Creature Toolbox uh, Titan deck. Um, and uh, there was a, I think there was one of these in the other challenge as well. So there, th- this is a deck that's popped up. Yeah, yeah, this is um, a deck that's popping up. And uh, apparently one of the superior versions of Titans. Sweet. I mean, yeah. green, green white creature toolbox is a staple of legacy, right? You got a Ma- Maverick. Yeah, Maverick. Yeah, and this this is way bigger than that, um, but it, it does definitely have that sort of vibe of um, being able to toolbox stuff, um, both with the copies of Elid Omri's Call um, and uh, Elvish Reclaimer in in uh, being able to get out all their toolbox lands. Um so, like, they have their Reclaimers, but they also have the Primeval Titans, so they have multiple ways to fetch out uh, whatever they need, be it a Bajuka Bog or uh, extra copies of Field of the Dead, etc. And there's a bunch of different versions of these floating through these challenges, so that's pretty wild to see. Well, I mean, I think it just kind of comes down to Field of the Dead is a pretty messed up magic card, you know, especially when you've got your Primeval Titans going to fetch it. Yep. Prime time's a hell of a drug. Yeah, and it's, I mean, Field uh, is is an interesting, it is an interesting card. I mean, it's very, very, very good, obviously, but it, it's interesting that it is threading um, this very strange balance of being good in decks that are dedicated to slamming it out as quickly as possible and generating the maximum value from it, and there's just the blue soup control decks that just 
play two copies. And it's just like a very long game plan. Um, and then there is a couple of... Um, I'm going to credit this to Yama Killer. There, there's this um, sort of mono-red um, prowess variant um, that's floating around that plays... Um, what is it? The Blister Coil wheel, Weird? Um, so a couple of those are around. Um, but is then the all the... Obosh list? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that sometimes... was uh, M. Hayashi, I believe. Is oh, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's uh, it was in uh, Oskia in 20th place uh, in the in the Sunday event um, was playing that that list. So with uh, Obosh, the Prey Piercer, the Companion, and the Sideboard, so everything in their deck is odd costs. Um, so they're playing Blister Coil Weird as an extra prowess creature. So they've got 12 prowess creatures on one mana, and they're also playing um, Bone Crusher Giant and Season Pyromancer. So it's like a very grindy version of this deck. Um, and they've got Firebolts. It, it's wild. This is a very, very strange deck list, but uh, apparently successful. So good for them. And then a, a tiny little bump in the popularity of Ad Nauseam. Um, apparently, that's a thing you can do now. So yeah, go Always for it. Has I been. know there's. Yeah, exactly. I know there's a lot of big Ad Nauseam fans out there, and the, the time is ripe once again. Um, and it, it, weird, yeah, weirdly enough, humans won both events. But if you go through the total of the sixty-four deck lists played in these these two top thirty-twos, uh, there's really not that many copies of humans. So um, I don't know if it's just the fact that like Canister is obviously an amazing Magic player, um, and I assume Bomber Boss, who won the uh, the other event, also is, um, and that it's again just a very good deck. And it does feel like so. Generally speaking, to paint a, a broader picture of where we're at uh, as a modern meta feels good there's like a lot of variety like there's there's just there's combo decks there's blistering aggro decks and there's control decks and they're all floating around with multiple versions um shark blade and the uro blue soup decks and even like a miracles deck are they're they're all doing quite well and then <laughs> merfolk of all things and humans <laughs> Uh, aside from the challenges, uh, I had a couple of five O's that I, I picked out um, that I just wanted to touch on briefly because they're related to Urza. So Blastoids hit a five O with the same Bant Urza list that we talked about in the last episode. Um, and I think we've seen that show up uh, a couple of times now in the five O's. So it's looking like this Bant Urza is uh, one of the viable Urza shells right now. Um, I'm not quite sure if that is being propped up on the back of Uro. You know, it kind of feels like maybe the Urza part of that isn't necessary, but hey, uh, sometimes two things that uh, don't seem to play that well together or, or don't make that much sense together are actually perfect together. And, you know, maybe Uro is just the, the perfect pivot plan or vice versa. Uh, well, and we'll, the- we'll get into Mr. Rabe's list, which, which also married those two cards together to... A very high level of success success um, this week so for sure uh the other two decks i wanted to highlight and all of the links to these deck lists will be in the show notes is two mono white decks made the 5-0 list that were running uh the hammer time combo um <laughs> so they're they're playing uh, the, the name is escaping me the the 
the hammer that is a one drop. Colossus, but costs hammer. Colossus hammer. Yep, that's the one. Colossus. I was. I kept wanting to say ten ton hammer. Uh, so the Colossus hammer, <laughs> and the pure steel paladin, so that they get the free equip. Um, and I don't know. They seemed a little bit less all in on the the hammer, and we're kind of playing a, a bunch of different artifacts. I don't know. Looked like cool lists, and again, in the same vein of, uh, I'm impressed that people took um, white cards into a competitive league, and you know, did pretty well with them. One of these is playing Thassa's Oracle. Oh That's yeah, some of these wild. Lists were wild. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're worth a look. Uh, definitely worth a look. Pure sight marrow. I I don't know if you could find anyone who could tell you what that card does. Oh, yeah, I do not know. I think it's a merfolk, but otherwise. Pure sight marrow. Okay, so it's it's blue or white, blue or white for a two two merfolk wizard. Blue or white untap. Look at the top card of your library. You may remove that card from the game. Why are you playing? Oh, it's with Paradise Mantle. So, because you okay? So that that's that. There's so there's your second combo. So there's a Pure Sight Marrow plus Paradise Mantle plus Thassa's Oracle oh, is you win the game instantly. There we go. Because you yeah you remove your whole library from the game and just win on this. But that's crazy. Cheeky, cheeky, very cheeky. That is like unbelievably cheeky wow I've actually, that's cool that's a cool deck i've run into a couple of these lists in the queues including like the red white one that's a little bit more all in plays lurse as a companion and you know they're interesting they're kind of scary like <laughs> Colossus hammer is big and you know, they have so many ways to just attach it you know it's kind of honestly i mean you know i guess it seems a little bit like infect when i play it they have those quick kills and they can slightly grind and if you don't have removal you're going to be in deep trouble who who is who is the the infect player who was really good? Tom with that Ross. Deck? Uh, Tom, Tom Ross. the boss. Maybe it was Ross. Tom Ross. I was going to say, yeah, one of the best nicknames at all of Magic. <laughs> well, um, yeah, that's that's wild, and it's fun to see it come back. Um, and I'm sure we are going to see all sorts of crazy shakeups. Uh, I just noticed that the uh, five color elemental deck is in the deck dump, and I'm sure the new Omnath will be making an appearance in that. Um, as well as you know, tons of other stuff. So I am excited for a new new set to be released. Um, even though this does seem like a slightly lower power one, there's definitely some really sweet cards in there. And I and I will say like, there's there's lots of cool cards that I think will have some impact in modern. I just it's, I don't know if there's any Okos or anything like that in this set, but time will tell. I want to mention that like this is I I consider every time a new set is released or like when bans happen, you know. I consider it nonsense hours, where, like, if you want to do some nonsense, like, this is when people are figuring out the format and testing new cards and, like, you know, trying some weird stuff. So this is, this is, this is a good time to get weird in modern and definitely one of my favorite uh, part, you know, one of my favorite periods when you can just do some weird stuff and, you know, like, general nonsense and have fun. Yeah, and I think the more important thing is I think all three of us like doing general nonsense most <laughs> of the time. Um, but there's more other people doing general nonsense trying to test new cards. Um, and there'll be less people playing, you know, Green Tron, Prowess, etc. So maybe that's why I like this this uh, this period as much as I do. Heck yeah. Well, uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how our testing went with our Urza decks.
All right, welcome back. Uh, so last episode, we came up with some brews for Urza, try and give him some renewed strength and vigor. Uh, and we took him into some cues. Um, so uh, Arun, why don't you uh, kick us off and uh, give us some updates on your brews? Yeah, so the one brew I was most interested in was uh, the four color Yorian Kinnan Arosa list. Uh, kind of an offshoot of the timber list that we had a lot of success with previously. Uh, splashing white uh, for Stoneforge Mystic and then trying out some Monastery Mentors. And so I played one league and I went 2-3 in the league and you know felt a little clunky. I also, uh, this was before uh, all the wildfires happened, I met up with uh, Ilsic Nasty who is a Faithless Brewing uh, community member and also in Portland area and so we played some Paper Magic which you know felt really really good. Uh, they were on black red skeletals, a uh, very fun deck, you know, like a light elemental, unearth your life, unearth it, Croxa, Bob, Dot Seas, you know, just like the fun black mid range deck, a little more more fun than black red prowess, I think. Uh, and in those matches, we played two matches, and uh, black red uh, skeletals won them both. Uh, you know, I think the big kind of takeaway was that there's a real deck building cost to Yorion. Like you know, people I, people have kind of said that it's it's not. They don't think it's, you know, so much, like running 80 versus 60. But, you know, if for this deck at least, I don't think... I think this deck was just... I cut a little bit too many synergy packages, like cut some artifacts, uh, makes Urza worse, and when your deck isn't very synergistic, and you can draw the wrong half of your deck pretty often. So I think between all those things, it just, you know, it felt super clunky, like Monster Mentor didn't feel that great. Uh, Urza was pretty good. Uh, let's see... In the league, uh, I guess, the, in the first round I lost to Mono Green Tron, uh, which is, you know, kind of always a bad matchup when you don't run any interaction for them. I lost to our prowess, uh, Mono Red, you know, they're just so fast. Uh, I beat Blue Red, Blue, uh, Blue Red, uh, yeah, is at Blue Moon, uh, which is, you know, like, when your deck is Mono Threats, uh, you have a pretty good control matchup. Uh, I lost to Neo Brand, uh, and then I beat Eldrazi Tron, and you just kind of... Like I said, deck felt overall pretty clunky. I think there was just not enough synergy in the deck, and Urza felt really, really weak. Like, the couple times I casted Urza, I had, like, one or two artifacts with the construct and had a, like, small construct, no mana up, and just felt very, very underwhelming. So, I don't know if this is... This shell would require a lot of tinkering, and I think this is... And I'm sure going to come back to this again and again, but it really seems that, like, if you want to play Urza, you need a lot of cheap artifacts. So, like, we talked about this last episode, too. When Urza comes down, you know, you want to have a big construct, and the big construct means you have a lot of free mana. And if you don't have that, then you're just playing paying 4 mana for a 1-4 that, you know, like, if you have it, that's a mana sink, which is okay, but, you know, Modern is getting pretty power power is just at a crazy high power level at this point so might not do it anymore yeah that all resonates um i i totally feel you on the the lack of artifacts making urza feel a lot worse that's something that i've struggled with you know looking at some of these t uh bant urza lists i'm always you know left feeling like eh, is 17 artifacts enough or some people even dip a little bit lower and then they're playing metallic rebukes and things that are relying on the improvise 
Uh, and it never really felt like it got there for me, but I think that that's also maybe just a, a preference thing on my part. You know, I, I lean much more heavily towards the controlling prisony styles of Urza builds. So, did you play the band list? Uh, I did not play the band list. No, I played the band list as well, and I streamed it. Um, I think I streamed it, but I played the band list as well, and it it generally felt clunky and underwhelming. I mean, on top of everything else you were mentioning, like a good percentage of your artifacts cost two mana, so like. Playing Thopter Foundry or Sword of the Meek on turn two does not help you keep up a Metallic Rebuke to be defensive or, or you know. So Modern being such a cutthroat format, it, it just really doesn't feel like a great deck. But that said, it, it clearly does put together wins a lot. Um, so it's better than it feels but it, it, it just uh, it's just awkward and clunky to, to play it. So it's a pretty good deck, and I wouldn't be um, surprised to see it pop up from time to time where the meta has adjusted in a way where people aren't really prepared for it, but uh, but I'm not sure like if it's actually uh, particularly good. I'd say it's like a solid B, solid Tier 2 deck where you know it, it can definitely shark a tournament, but generally speaking, it's nothing spectacular. Yeah, I definitely, I actually ran uh, the band Urza list through a league also, and I had the same uh, same feeling as you, like felt pretty clunky. All of my wins were through the combo, you know, just like getting them with the combo while they like didn't see it coming, or like maybe they tapped out and thought they'd be safe, but you know, like the last cards were, like have a Thopter Foundry, and my last cards are uh, Urza and uh, Were of Invention, and I get them like that, and I actually faced in the leagues a couple times too, and it was the same thing where like it doesn't it seems really weak and you know like playing it like oh everything's going great and all of a sudden they combo you out so the combo was definitely powerful and scary but without the combo i was just like generally underwhelmed with the deck yeah and well i mean it does have um it is really good at putting an uro into play um in a way that the the current like blue soup decks are not um, because you have emery to turbo it out so i will say like when i played it i know i won at least one match um against prowess or something similar um, or maybe, maybe even it was Jund, which is the, the fact that Uro is just very difficult for that deck to beat a lot of the time. Um, I think they were playing something like Terminate nowadays, so that they do have more tools, and they, they always have Fatal Push, but uh, but uh, it's just very difficult for Jund to overcome Uro most of the time. Yeah. So, Zach, uh, what did you end up taking through the leagues, and how'd you do? Um, so I, I never got around to rehashing the uh, Teamer song, Urian 80-card monstrosity. Uh, I'm sure I will at some point. Um, so I started out with our very speculative blue-green Urza Affinity deck um, with two main deck uh, feature sites. Um, let me just refresh myself on exactly what I was playing there. Um, yeah, uh, with Future Sight, uh, Kinnon, Emery, uh, Uro, and all that nature of things. So this is a very, like, play-to-the-board um, affinity deck with very little interaction. Um, in fact, I think I'm playing approximately none in this main deck. And the idea here is just to kill them with Ornithopter, Blink Moth Nexus, um, Ginger Brute, uh, with Cranial Plating and uh, Urza Constructs and overwhelming people with Uro. And it was actually fairly effective um, in a couple of the matches, uh, but I went 2-3 overall. I had a like a complete, just got eaten alive by Storm. Um, so that might be a matchup that you really have to sideboard for. 
I get some damping spheres or something in there. Um, and that also helps you against uh, some of the Tron decks and some of the Titan decks. Um, but overall, this was a pretty neat little romp. 2-3 um, was surprisingly decent. Uh, I thought this was going to be a lot worse than that. And I will say the couple times where I got um, Future Sighted to play, it is really good. And if you can also have an Urza in play, that's really, really insane. Um, so that, that came together more powerfully than I thought that it was going to. Um, then I think I did the, the Bant Wurza. That one was also fine. Um, and then before the most promising version of an, of, uh, of an Urza deck that we'd come up with, uh, I played Mr. Rabe's, uh, Chalice Urza deck. Um, so this deck is super neat. Um, it was a very, very cool meta choice to play four copies of Chalice of the Void. Um, so this list will be in the uh, notes, but it is playing the full boat of Emery, Uro, and Urza. Um, he stuck in two copies of Mox Amber um, to prop up the deck a little bit, and then it's playing two main deck Aether Gusts, two Dismembers, three Metallic Rebuke, and three Cryptic Commands. So this is very much like the classic Uroza um, deck, um, with just like a little bit of counter magic sprinkled around, and the idea being that what you're going to do is stick Urza or Uro, and then um, usually leverage Cryptic Command to get through the rest of the game. But this also has the sort of oops, I win button against um, some of the modern decks uh, of just having Chalice of the Void on one. Um, decks like Prowess have a really hard time with that in game one. Um, and decks like Death Shadow have a really hard time with it, um, just generally. So um, Chalice of the Void is definitely a super powerful lockout piece. Uh, it's even very effective against Ad Nauseam. Um, so very cool meta choice. He made it all the way to the finals of uh, one of the challenges with that. And when I played it, yes, I also I went 2-3, but it was a bunch of like close matches and some really poor variants on some of them. So I think... That deck is really, really cool and uh, bears more exploration. It might be the best non-combo Urza deck I've seen. Um, but then in terms of uh, avenues that we discussed, um, I just finished up playing a league of blue-red Urza Affinity. Uh, and this one really solidified the idea to me that these Urza Affinity decks are not um, really going to work that well because it was, it was a 2-3... Um, but I walked away from it realizing that the strongest parts of the deck were the, the non-Urza plays most of the time, and that getting up to four mana for Urza um, was usually more of a burden than anything else. So I have an updated deck list uh, that I would suggest um, that I just called uh, Blue Red Robo Smash with the homage to the uh, robots title that Affinity um, sometimes gets. Um, Basically, I've just swapped out the Urzas for Masters of Ethereum. Um, so for a recap, that's uh, two and a blue for a star star creature. Uh, it's power and toughness that you're equal to the number of artifacts you control, and it's also a lord for your artifact creatures. So artifact creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So between Master of Ethereum, Signal Pest, um, and your pile of little dinky creatures, plus Galvanic Blast and Shrapnel Blast to close out games... Um, this this deck i think probably has a, a good amount of promise um i was surprised by the number of games that i stole with like one good cranial plating hit uh and a gal galvanic blast or just cranial plating on a ginger brute um 
there's just a lot of decks that are going <laughs> to die to that or cranial plating on the Volt Scourge. You know, you, you gain a lot of life with that, and um, it's really good. Uh, the caveat, of course, being that the best other aggressive deck in the format, the Prowess decks, are playing Lavadart, and Lavadart is terrible news <laughs> for you. Um, but Master of Ethereum might help. Yeah, for sure. Uh, At least a little bit. Also, this this deck is oh, yeah. dirt cheap. So <laughs> this deck is clocking in at uh, 70 tickets. So, you know, if anyone wants to play a budget deck on Magic Online, uh, this is this is potentially something uh, cool to, to check out. But I, I really think for these aggressive decks, um, trying to have the fallback plan of Urza is, uh, is a bit nonsense. But in the blue-green Urza Affinity deck, I will say that was like by far the most promising one. Um, with the downside of that one being you're probably better served just pushing it in the direction that Mr. Rabe went with his Urza Chalice deck and, and playing it more controlling. Um, although that deck, I mean, maybe you could try some Future Sight in that one, maybe. It's pretty good. It's a good so card. I, I'm maybe not terribly surprised to hear that you didn't care for Urza in those shells, but... Uh... I was surprised. I actually did like it. I played a blue-black version, um, and I took it to a 2-3 as well, but it, it felt like it could have very easily been a 4-1. The only matchup that I played against that I felt was just totally unwinnable was Jund. Uh, everything else really kind of came down to variance, <laughs> and um, I thought that Urza was a pretty good plan for the games that made it to the, the mid-game, and you kind of run out of steam, either you're stonewalled on the ground, you know, you can't get those last few points of damage through, and then Urza comes down and kind of digs you to a little bit more gas, uh, makes the construct, so, you, you know, you have a little bit more big threats. Um, so I, I actually thought that it was a pretty reasonable plan, but, you know, it could be color differences here. I had tooled around with a little bit of a blue-red version as well, and I didn't care for Urza in that version and I also didn't actually care for the Galvanic Blast surprisingly I felt like I was drawing them all the time in my opening hand and just like not able to dump as much stuff to the board as I was used to with the blue black version uh, but it, it's also that was super untuned and, and super speculative so I think with a little bit of tuning that that probably could have got there the interesting thing about Urza in this li these lists, though, especially the blue-black one you mentioned, is like, yeah, I can see how it, if you're solid in the mid-game and digging for gas, but what if you had just something like maybe Tezred or something like Karn Scion of Urza, where, you know, it's like Karn will come down, he'll make you two constructs, and each construct will pump each other, and then you probably have enough creatures to defend him, and so you can then start plusing him and getting a little card advantage. I mean, the one issue with that is that uh, if your deck is filled with terrible cards, Karn's Hine of Urza's plus ability is terrible uh, because, you know, like, do you want a Memnite or do you want a land? Like, you, you know, you, you, there's no good options there. Yeah, so the few times that I managed to get Urza out, I did activate his ability, and I felt like that was the difference between winning and losing in a couple of games. You know, getting to dump out an extra Signal Pest or uh, a Ginger Brute or something that could, you know, wear a, a cranial plating and, and actually get that extra damage through was pretty helpful. Uh, and I think that Karn Sign of Urza is a good plan when you're trying to make the constructs, but 
really I was I think I was more interested in the card advantage that Urza can provide. So in, in that way, maybe Future Sight is just the better plan overall because you really just want to keep dumping stuff out. The problem I had with Future Sight is that I didn't actually get to cast it until I already had an Urza in play and then could make <laughs> mana off of my other artifacts. So. Mm. Yeah, it's just one of those things that like I find generally like once this deck is being built in a way that you are planning on casting a four CMC spell, I think once you've made the concession to go that high up the curve, that you should also include some other powerful cards at that point on the curve. Because like having a deck set up so it just barely gets to four mana, um, but that the card that you're going to play for four mana doesn't instantaneously win you the game is not my favorite plan so like when the blue black thopter sword uh urza combo decks were were very popular they would play like 21 or 22 lands which was like very low um considering that they were trying to get up to this four mana play and if you ever played that deck you would like i I played that deck in a good number of tournaments and there are a lot of games where you would sort of muck around from two to three mana and have a hard time getting to your fourth because the only cantrip you were playing was Arkham's Astrolabe a lot of the time. Um, with the <laughs> idea being that a lot of the time, as soon as you got to four mana, you played Urza and and you'd win because you could were on the turn before or you could were once you had Urza down or Urza would give you the extra mana to play counter magic to defend him and then you could win the turn after with the were. So... It was like you could just squeak your way up to four mana because basically you were very close to winning once you once you cast your four mana play. But for these decks, that's not really the case. Like that's that's what I was saying. Like getting all the way up to four mana in these affinity decks is like you do that, then you play Urza, but Urza doesn't add to your damage at all that turn. Whereas like sometimes it's just be like if this was just another burn spell or if this was just another cranial plating or or something like that, it would be better. Um, which is why I suggest trying out Master of Ethereum because it's a lord um, that is also a beater. So it kind of kind of does what I think you'd want your more expensive play to do. Yeah, I actually uh, my blue black version was running Master of Ethereum alongside Urza and the two Future Sight in the the main. Um, but that extra little bit of damage that really kind of hits home. That was kind of what I was feeling like as I was playing is like, I just need those extra few points of damage. And that's what led me towards looking to red in the first place. So I wonder if maybe a, a Grixis list would be the way to go. Cause the thing that I noticed about this shell is that I pretty consistently had uh, a turn four kill. If I was left, you know, uninteracted with, like if I could dump to the board and just swing in a couple of times, I was getting that turn four kill. So against decks that were taking the first few turns to set up and they were ignoring what I was doing, I got them. It was the prowess matchups that were difficult because like you said, lava dart just shuts you down. And you know, that that's their entire deck is lava darts and shocks and bolts. So so the other deck that I took uh, through some leagues was a blue-white Wurza Blade. Um, I went 3-2 in this league. This is the league where I was testing out cards like Aethersworn Canonist and Spellskite uh, and a Stoneforge Mystic Package. Um, I actually, I like this one. You know, I, I tend to enjoy the combo finish a little bit more than sort of the, the mid-range, just duke it out, go sideways plan. Uh, but I felt like 
you know, Stoneforge provided a, a pretty good toolbox. Um, Batter Skull was an all-star in all of the prowess matches that I played. You know, the life gain is just so important. Um, you know, I, I felt like this felt closest to some of the OG Wurza lists uh, that I've played recently. And so I, I enjoyed that. Um, Aethersworn Canonist did turn out to be gas. I think she was a great addition, but having played now maybe 10 matches with her, I kind of feel like she still takes a backseat to Damping Sphere. The fact that Prowess can interact so, so easily is just a, a bit too much of a downside. It was great if I had a Welding Jar out and I could protect her or a Spell Skite and I could protect her a little bit. But overall, I think the Damping Sphere, even though it hurts you a little bit, you know, more than the, the Canonist does, uh, I think that the Damping Sphere is probably the correct call there. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I thought, you know, I mean, Canonist has really fascinated me. The unsymmet- the being that Canonist is asymmetrical is, well, assuming the assuming your decks with artifacts is, you know, always very tempting. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've also... <laughs> I hate facing prowess, and so I've tried every card under the sun. I've also damping sphere uh, is you know pretty great against prowess, but like you said, when you're trying to empty your own hand and play to the board, damping sphere like, sometimes sometimes it can hinder us more than it hinders them. Yeah, yeah, I think that having Urza down helps a lot, obviously, because you get to produce all that extra mana. But yeah, I I don't know. I was kind of torn. I ended up bringing in damping sphere in most of the games, and also leaving the canonist in. Uh, I think she's worth a little bit more testing, especially if you're planning on playing an Emery Shell where you may want to run things like the Welding Jar and kind of load up on those zero uh, CMC artifacts. Um, yeah, I think that that's a, a solid strategy with her. Uh, you know, Stoneforge was, was good. The equipment, like I said, proved to be useful, but I don't know if this is the best build of Urza, and it's certainly not the best build of, of a Stoneforge deck. So, uh, you know, I feel like there might be some some things there to explore and maybe take it forward into a, like a more mid-range deck, drop the combo, don't focus on any of that. You know, I think that we're, and, and to some extent, Goblin Engineer just do a, a better job of tutoring for the things you want if you're focused on the combo. Well, that yeah, but I think we saw that there was, and we discussed in in some detail, there was a, a the Bant list that was essentially like Bant Stoneforge mid range that also had Urza and the combo in there. So like, it's definitely a version that you can do just because Stoneforge Mystic and Batter Skull is like such a good thing you can be doing. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No, no question. And I did win with the combo a couple of times. I did win with, you know, a batter skull equipped to uh, an Urza construct that was huge. You know, I, I feel like I, I got to see the different avenues that this deck can take you, but none of it felt as impressive as say the, the old Urza deck did uh you know even pre oko but you know the uh, another part of that could just be the times that we were in the meta that we were in and the things that that deck were doing at the time were sort of misunderstood misunderstood or not quite um not quite understood so people didn't know how to to fight back against it i think that the thopter sword combo and urza in general are just a lot better understood these days and people are a lot more prepared to play against him 
Well, and there's also, um, I would say there's generally like a more background noise of Karn the Great Creator, and um, there uh, is no Mox Opal, and there's no Astrolabe. So For sure. Since that <laughs> era, we, they, they lost eight slots of absolutely exceptional artifacts. Um, yeah. So that, that's, um, that was a huge powering down of the deck. Um, so... Poor Opal. I mean, uh, the whole time when I'm playing with these decks, I'm just thinking just like, if I had access to Opal right now, like, this could be nuts. Just like, man, I'm... My one regret is that Kinnan and Mox Opal were never legal at the same time in Modern. Yeah. Like, oh, tragic. Well, we gotta go play it in Legacy, then. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think we'll talk about that in a little bit. You know, I mean, I, the whole Kinnan adventure actually started off with a Legacy deck that I trophied with that my friend actually came up with for the most part. And then it's tried to pour it into modern for the Paytas Brink Community League. So, you know, it all comes full circle. Uh, Jiggy, did you have a deck that you thought was uh, particularly promising out of this? Um, <laughs> I would like to say I did, but like, you know, I don't think I did. I mean, honestly, watching you stream Mr. Rabe's Chalice deck was really interesting because I noticed that it was like, it's a... You know, it has it plays Urza, but that deck is a Cryptic Command deck. Like, Cryptic Command and Mystic Sanctuary, and, like, Urza's kind of, you know, like a medium for it. But just the amount of games and matches that you won just with, like, the Cryptic Command lock or just, like, Cryptic Command, Mystic Sanctuary, tapped on your team, swing with a giant construct and, and an Uro. Like, that, you know, like, it reminds me a lot of the previous Simic decks that were, like, you know, they were, like, more, more... The Urza was useful, but they were more so, like... Oko Cryptic Command Sanctuary decks that just happened to use Urza as a mana engine. So that was, in terms of actually most promising decks, I think Mr. Rape's Chalice Urza deck looked the most interesting to me. But like, you know, I'm not, I don't like to play control, you know, I don't like to answer questions, I like to make others have the answers. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't super impressed with uh, the Yorian, uh, uh, the four color Yorian nonsense list. Uh, you know, I think I definitely, I do want to try some Loader Ground aggro deck eventually. I think that's going to be one of the next ones, working on these affinity lists. But then, you know, then we get to the trouble of just like, is Urza really good in those? So I don't, you know, I'm kind of, I don't have a personal home for Urza right now, which is pretty sad. But, you know, knowing Wizards of the Coast, it's only a matter of time until they print us another busted artifact. Yeah, that's the other thing is uh, we, we, there's definitely potential for these decks to always get a shot in the arm. So... Yeah, some of the new ones that they printed actually look like they could be worth trying. Uh, the new, all of the new equipment auto attaches when it ETBs, so that's definitely something to consider. Um, and you know, there's one that gives uh, what is it, plus two, plus one, or, or plus two, plus two on landfall. So you know, there's definitely some some things to consider there. Um, it takes you into green, which you know we're happy enough to dip into for other reasons, but you know, uh, Karn can, can wish you a dark steel Citadel, uh, you can were for, for one. So, you know, there's some avenues here that we haven't, we haven't thought about now because we haven't had to, but maybe there's some cool ways to make some landfall synergies work in an Urza deck. Yeah, man, this is a, it's a definitely, <laughs> definitely this... going, going deep on cards that I wouldn't even yeah. consider. So yeah, that's why I keep that's, you guys around. Yeah. That's that's what we're here for. Yeah, right? This is uh, this is absolutely an idea. Yeah, know? that this is definitely is like, an idea. Suggest, <laughs> I wouldn't even suggest this, which is pretty wild. But I mean, you know, like hell, I've 
Why well, play run Mark's tent light? So like you know, if I if I get bored enough, or if just is like if something comes up, like I will you know I'm not afraid to try these nonsense cards. Zach Zach might be a little afraid, but maybe with a little arm twisting. Oh, I'm not afraid. I'm skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> skeptical uh, I mean I'm yeah yeah oh yeah, yeah. I'm like forever optimistic yeah, absolutely uh, as well you should skeptical. be all right well I think we got a new project to take a look at yeah so uh, we are going to open the books on project mentor Monastery Mentor is two and a white for a 2-2 human monk. It has the text uh, prowess, so whenever you cast a non-creature spell, this creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you also create a 1-1 white monk creature token with prowess. So given that prowess is uh, so popular with the soul scar mages and uh, the monastery swift spears, you know, uh, we know that that effect is pretty powerful, but we haven't actually seen a whole lot out of Monastery Mentor in modern or uh, really anything other than legacy, uh, barring standard. I don't know what happened in standard at that time. Um, but as a quick history, uh, Monastery Mentor was printed in Fate Reforged, which was released on January 23rd of 2015. It was largely absent from high-level events in Modern for quite a while. It was um, showing up in what I saw Modern Daily events on MTGO. I wasn't playing at the time, so I'm not entirely sure what exactly a Modern Daily event was. Uh, but we also saw them pop up in the SCG uh, IQs. The first deck list that was rocking any mentors that I was actually able to find wasn't until February 26th of 2016 uh, with a Jeskai list that was playing mentor. It also contained Jeskai Ascendancy and a boatload of one drops, uh, and it went 6 4. And I guess that was in uh, an IQ. So we also saw some Jeskai mid-range lists popping up at a GP in Guangzhou. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that. I am, I am not a world traveler, unfortunately. Uh, we saw some uh, Jeskai mid-range lists popping up at GP Dallas. And later that year... Uh, uh, Ian Andrew took a list to 15th place at GP Dallas. Um, in August of 2017, Mentor was restricted in vintage due to power level. And this was largely due to blue decks uh, using paradoxical outcome and storm-like lists. So we don't see anything for a while. Fast forward to 2019, and we see a deck pop up at the Mythic Championship 4 in Barcelona. So if you recall, this is also during Hogak Summer. This is when Wurza was sort of its making, making its breakout appearance as well. And we actually saw a couple of lists that were running Mentor in the main deck and a couple that were also uh, running it in the sideboard. So we saw... 
two eggs combo decks. They're running a single copy in the main alongside a single grape shot. They were looking to just drop a bunch of zero CMC artifacts with a SRAM or a pure steel paladin down. They end up drawing into more zero CMC artifacts, um, turn through their deck, and you know just make a ton of uh, tokens and pump those tokens up with the prowess triggers. So you mentioned uh, that you mentioned eggs. These are actually Cheerios decks, uh, pure steel that use retract and uh, that use a whole bunch of zero CMC artifacts. Uh, Cheerios with retract and Mox Opal with the SRAM or a pure steel paladin just draw their deck. This was actually the deck that got me into modern, and I took it to Grand Prix Portland in 2018, and, and I made day two, and then got thrashed. Uh, but you know, this, <laughs> I, these decks are sweet, and I, I love them very much, and they will always hold a place in my heart. Uh, these good, these good old Cheerios lists, and this was probably like one of the last times when it was played because pretty soon after, uh, Mark, or I guess several months after, Mox Opal was banned. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of contextualize that these Cheerios decks, I love them; they're sweet. So I, I need to know, are Cheerios and eggs different then? Is yeah. So eggs are one CMC things. Like eggs come from the Odyssey block, Dark Shadow egg. Like they're they're one. They cost one, and they're artifacts. And you tap two, and you sack it. You add. Uh, they came in allied colors, so you would add like blue, black, and then draw a card. Kind of like Chromatic Sphere, but it's in the mana is fixed, and it costs two. Uh, and so those are, that's where the term eggs come from. So eggs are generally referred to as one CMC uh, artifacts that cantrip either uh, that cantrip upon when you uh, sacrifice them for mana. So like chromatic sphere and chromatic star, are oftentimes those are called eggs. And the, the big difference, the big difference between the decks in terms of play patterns, is they're both non-deterministic combo decks where you start drawing through your deck. So, um, Clay and Ironworks, if any, if everyone's familiar when, when that deck was around, that was an eggs deck. Um, but the way that eggs and Cheerios both combo off is they have something that is letting them draw one card at a time, um, to start with. And then at a certain point, they will hit the ability to draw multiple cards. In the case of eggs, you're sacrificing artifacts that draw you a card. And normally what they'll do is they'll play something like Second Sunrise, which was banned in Modern. Um, that was white, white, and one. And it returned everything to the battlefield that you had put into the graveyard that turn. Um, so you'd pop back out multiple eggs all at once. And then you'd be able to draw that number of cards and hopefully get through your whole deck. Whereas in the case of Cheerios, um, everything that you're playing is, or most of the things you're playing are zero drops. Um, of course, the best one in all of Magic, Bone Saw, usually makes an appearance here. Um, <laughs> but more to the point, you play something like SRAM, or um, the the very first version I played back in Mirrodin Standard, um, played Chromox and Vidalcan Archmage, uh, as well as Retract. So... Um, and again, the point is that you play a creature or an enchantment or whatever that says every time you play one of these zero drop spells, draw a card. And then you keep going through your deck until you can set up a second one. And once you're drawing two cards per each zero drop that you cast, usually you, you get to a point where you can just um, uh, win the game. Um, via, again, via some means. 
Um, I don't know what, what they've been playing more recently, Jiggy, but I, I know they've existed on some form. Grape shot, baby. Grape shot. Always grape shot them. Grape shot them out. <laughs> yeah, because well, when you had Mox Opal, that was that was something you could do, right? So again, you'd play SRAM oh, or yeah. Pure Steel Paladin. Yeah, you, you mulligan to find one open there. Keep playing zero drop artifacts. Yeah, you keep playing zero drop artifacts until you can find a retract. Then you bounce them all. Then you play them all again. Then you bounce them all. Then you play them all again, and then you grape shot them. Out. Hell yeah, those were the days. You draw your whole deck, and yeah, it's kind of like a drug. You just keep drawing and drawing, and like sometimes just like you go off with nothing, and you hit like the nuts of just like three. You hit like four uh, chairs and four equipment in a row, and then you draw into the opal, and then you draw into the retract, and then you hit like double retract, and you're all set. And other times. You know, you'll draw half your deck and you'll fizzle and then you'll die. Yep. So that's that's my kind of magic. You know, like give me give me those sugar rush, baby. This man likes this man likes to live. We gotta go to the casino. Oh yeah. Well, no, don't don't take me there. Don't take me there. All right. So uh, that was kind of the the history of uh, mentors' competitive play, and it's important to note that we still see occasional uh, mentor. Um, appearances in modern so we see them in sideboards uh, particularly in control decks uh, on occasion we also um, see them sometimes popping up in like a Jeskai tempo type list although you know I, I haven't seen any of those in like challenges or anything just mostly popping up in the five o's on occasion or you'll run into one or two in the leagues um, so you know mentors power level is is definitely there uh, but just hasn't quite found the right home in modern yet. Um, and also just to, to point out mentor is legal in pioneer, but there, you know, if there's not a, an obvious home in modern, there's almost certainly no home in pioneer, uh, mentors power level quite clearly gets better. The wider the card pool gets. I will say I, I, I had some great success playing uh, mentor and blue white control in the sideboard in pioneer. Um, but much like modern, the point of it is that it's a reasonably cheap uh, creature that you can play um, that you can almost guaranteed get some extra advantage out of. So it's just one of the best threats that you can board in um, for matchups where you want to increase your threat density. Um, and that deck was already playing a decent number of um, cantrips in the form of Opt and Azorius Charm. Uh, Azorius Charm has the mode where uh, creatures you control gain lifelink. So <laughs> that was occasionally hilarious because you just crack in for like seven with a mentor and two monks and gain all that life. So um, it's definitely um, it's definitely as good in, in Pioneer in the same way that it is in Modern. Yeah, one of the criticisms that I frequently heard about it in Modern or reasons why I heard it was not played is because the turn that you cast it, you obvious, or you oftentimes didn't have a way to protect it. And with the release of Force of Negation, that changed. And I think there was a little bit of an expectation at the time that Modern Horizons was released that we would actually see an uptick in play. I remember that the price spiked up. Um, they had been, I don't know, 5 or $6 for a long time, and the price spiked up to 25 bucks a pop uh, right around the release of Modern Horizons. And I think that that was in part due to an expectation that people would be able to play it more. I also remember somewhere along the way i remember autumn burchett playing four copies of it in some kind of blue white artifact deck that was like a sort of paradoxical outcome something deck 
I think it was a paradoxical outcome deck, but I know I know that happened at some point where it was like mentor. It was like four of main deck mentors in modern, which was wild. Yeah, I don't think any of the lists that I had seen perform well. Any of the the lists at the mythic championship or anything like that were running more than two copies. So, uh, you know, I think to kick things off with the you know before we get into the brewing and whatnot. Uh, I think that we should probably figure out what makes Mentor worthy of being restricted in Vintage. Yeah, I mean, so I think this is like the most interesting thing about Monastery Mentor because uh, it's one of the very few cards, as you mentioned in the episode, that is actually restricted. It's so that's restricted in Vintage and doesn't see much legacy play. There's actually a whole bunch of cards that are restricted in Vintage uh, that don't see much legacy play, uh, but those are mostly artifacts because in Vintage... You know, you get Mishra's Workshop and you get all these busted things. Uh, but, you know, the fact, I think in Legacy, it mostly sees, it used to see a fair amount of play in the blue-white uh, blue Stoneforge decks, uh, or blue, uh, that would run in the side, or some in the main is kind of like, because you, there you have your Force of Wills, you have Force of Negations, you have Ponders, Brainstorm, Preordain, just like you have good protection and you can just kind of snowball out pretty quickly with cantrips. Because you don't, you know, you don't need to cast a billion spells. You just need like maybe two spells and two spells, and then with your Stoneforge and your True Name Nemesis and your Gite, you know, you can probably just take it from there. But you don't really see it too often in Legacy anymore. And you know, I think even though you have access to four Brainstorm, four Ponder, four Preordain, you know, Ponder, Preordain, Band, and Modern, they're that good. So you know, it's got it. But in Vintage, I mean, like you know, it's just got to be the Moxin, like. And I definitely, you know, having been starting to fiddle around with Mentor in these uh, in these modern shells. Like, yeah, like, Mentor's pretty busted when you have a whole bunch of zero CMC artifacts. And, like, if they're making mana, and you're just, like, you're snowballing. It's pretty wild. Yeah, I, I think I saw a Canister or someone playing some Vintage at one point and just watching them play, like, Black Lotus, Mentor, Mox Mox. And their, their last card's, like, Force of Will something. It's like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. Like, the interesting... I mean, the super interesting thing about Mentor is just... It's the snowball effect is nuts. Like when like playing it, you just like cast mentor, you play two spells, pass the turn, play two more spells, and like you're swinging for thirteen, and you've got like eighteen power on the board, and you know you've just like it's wild. Like it's you know I haven't quite found no I've played a whole bunch of cards, <laughs> a whole bunch of strange cards, some much better than others, but I've not found another card that's like. A snowball is mentor. Although I'd wonder if Goblin, it may be similar to Goblin Rabble Master. I haven't played much Rabble Master, but Rabble Master also has that you know kind of snowbally exponential. If you leave it on the battlefield for a couple of turns, you just kind of die to it. So what you're saying is we should play Red White Prison with Mentor. Got it. I mean, I don't. That's. Uh, <laughs> what I, heard. I mean, you know, I'm not responsible for how my comments are interpreted. Like I definitely, I don't think I would go down that path. Uh, but I mean, you know, like. If you want to try that, like, you know, I'm all yours. Yeah. And, and uh, one, 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 uh, just the one final note is uh, there was a legacy deck that was short-lived um, in 2019 um, that was, they, they did an entire episode of uh, Leaving a Legacy about this with an interview with the person who, or one of the people who was a big uh, player of it. So it was uh, called uh, BAE, Bay. Uh, big Arcanist energy. Um, so Dreadheart Arcanist is not a great card 
um, in modern compared to legacy, basically because brainstorm and ponder are completely busted. Um, but this deck is really neat, so I've included the list here. But it's um, the creature suite is four copies of Monastery Mentor, four copies of Dreadhorde Arcanist, and some copies of Counterbalance. Um, and Counterbalance could be an interesting way to try to protect Mentor in Modern. Um, I haven't seen Aspiring Spike plenty, playing any Counterbalance decks right now, but I could imagine they'd be pretty okay. Um, because if you can get a one CMC spell set on top, then you essentially have a one sided chalice against. Um, prowess but you can also still play main deck uh yeah, removal makes sense so brian what are your thoughts on why like general thoughts on why mentor is you know not seeing much legacy play or you know like not seeing much modern play relative to vintage i honestly am not entirely sure like the card's power is clearly there and that's the thing is there are free spells in modern you know we don't have as many like clearly we don't have all of the moxin or the the power and the ability to turbo this out and then follow up with good free spells but there are free spells available and so it's it's obvious that it's not just a lack of free spells that's kind of keeping it back um you know i think it's got the right stuff prowess is obviously top deck in modern right now so so that aspect of the card is good and there's clearly an abundance of very cheap spells that they use to power their deck uh so you know i think that that could make a fine starting point to look at um being a 2-2 means that the the base creature does die to everything uh you know we're talking about lava dart well you know the prowess decks don't seem to have any trouble making all of their land drops so they have the mountains to sacrifice to flash it back and unless you have something to do to pump that that mentor up in response you know you're going to lose it um mentor still dies to fatal push you know uh it, it basically falls over at a at a stiff breeze so i think that's <laughs> probably a big part of the problem However, as we were saying earlier, you know, we do have Force of Negation now, um, and, you know, a lot of these other prowess creatures are also, they're cheap, they die to Fatal Push, they have low toughness, at least initially, and so they would die to Bolt or some of these other things. So, you know, I think that their efficacy shows that Mentor has what it takes to get there as well. I, think, I mean, I think generally the problem with it is it's like, it's too expensive balanced with being too vulnerable but if we can find a way to exploit yeah that that power when it comes down it might be worth it uh why don't we take a little break and when we come back we can dive into some uh not lists but uh brewing ideas for the mentor We are back. So what do we think that we can do here with the mentor? Uh, Arun, I see you have some ideas. Why don't you kick us off? Yeah, so I've actually been messing with Monastery Mentor uh, for a little bit. You know, I originally started uh, sort of with the Kinnan build and Legacy that, you know, did really, did pretty well with the league, was with pretty interesting. Uh, and then before I actually moved to Porta to Modern, I messed around, you know, just like with different shells and things and i put in the monastery mentor because you know like if you're playing a bunch of bunch of free spells add a mentor 
and it was you know just like when you have lotus petal uh mox opal chrome mox arkham's astrolabe you know like urza get in you can just like go pretty quickly and get a whole bunch of things down so that uh you know seeing it being pretty powerful in legacy with all the free spells it's like you know like the i guess kind of the two ways in modern like you uh talk you kind of were mentioning this too and that zach just did with dreadhorde arcanist it's like that's a good way to trigger it you know just like that you have you know, you can play mentor swing with arcanist flashback something maybe a thought seize to protect it uh you know like then then you're going to town uh but once again you know i like I'm a big fan of super proactive. Like, you know, I don't even, you know, I'd prefer not to interact if I didn't have to, but I still want to, like, beat down. And so, you know, the, I've had been having some decent success in an Emery shell, where, you know, so you get bobbles, and you get engine explosives, and you get Mox Ambers, and then you also have Emery, uh, you know, to cast your zero CMC artifacts and recast them and just kind of keep churning through your deck, which is good because if you have like a turn one or a turn two emery and then on turn the next turn you cast mentor you know you can play maybe play a bobble get a trigger tap emery recast the bobble you know maybe you have a chromatic star or sphere that you can recast and so you can kind of start snowballing that way and getting some value like that seems to be i think one of the big things i think on the faithless brewing podcast uh, urchin mentioned this that like and kind of to kind of sum up what we've been saying you know you're paying three mana for monastery mentor like, if you, you know, if you just get one trigger out of it, you know, you've just, like, paid a lot for a really bad season Pyromancer. Like you need to make sure that you can be getting at least, you know, you can either protect Mentor the turn it comes down, or you can get at least two triggers off of it. And that, you know, the best idea that I've had for that is, like, free spells. And then as a little bonus, you know, like, Repeal. I love Repeal. It is, like, the one super cool, super tempo card, but, like, Repeal with the zero CMC artifacts, too, and Mentor also kind of gets out of control so those are you know those have been places that i've been i've been starting and having the most success with but i'm definitely interested in any other ideas that you both have so what, what is this note about salvager ruin teshar and mox amber because i was going to propose taking mentor into pioneer with either a blue white uh artifact shell or a bant one and this sounds what 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 is this uh, all right, so you know, I played when when Pioneer was first announced. I was playing at the LGS a blue white uh, Salvager of Rune Teshar combo, and so what happens is you get your Teshar out, and Teshar has a trigger. Uh, whenever you cast a historic spell, you can return a creature card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. There you go. Thank you. So the creature that you're going to be returning is the Salvager of Rune. And if you have two Mox Ambers, you can cast one, make one go to the graveyard. You have your Salvager already on the battlefield. You sacrifice it to bring the Mox Amber back to hand. And then you get your uh, Salvager of Rune back with the Teshar. And so you can loop this over and over because you always end up with a Mox Amber in hand to cast, to trigger Teshar, uh, and and play the, this game. The problem is that there's not really a good payoff for looping this. So you can <laughs> keep casting your Mox Ambers over and over, but you're not really getting anything. I was playing Psy, and if you can make infinite Thopters, that's usually good enough to win. Um, but you know, I figure we could always slot the mentor in here. Mentor 
is maybe a little bit better in some regards as a threat for this deck. Um, and it may be a little bit worse in some others. Uh, obviously, Psy plays really well with uh, a glut of artifacts, which uh, this deck kind of does, or at least the shell that I was playing it in did. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, Mentor is worth popping in there. Uh, the deck felt okay, but at least the list I was running at the time was pretty untuned. It was just kind of something that I'd slapped together to take to the LGS. No, and that um, I played um, for your suggested brewing list for Pioneer, uh, I played a Layla Artful Provocateur, which is an Esper uh, creature um, for four mana. So I played an Esper um, Artifacts deck, and in that deck I was playing Psy, and being able to set up Emery plus Psy casting artifacts out of your graveyard over and over and over again and getting triggers uh, is definitely a way that you can um, make Monastery Mentor incredibly powerful. Uh, so some of the other ideas that I had, I am personally a sucker for bad Mardu decks. <laughs> I've put together quite a few of these, particularly after Dreadhorde Arcanist was released. I just jammed Thoughtseize and Dreadhorde Arcanist into all sorts of different shells and lost a, a lot of games and a lot of <laughs> matches. Uh, I feel like I'm not alone in this. I think that Dreadhorde Arcanist is one of those trap cards that a lot of people like to pursue and like to try and make work, and it just doesn't seem to cut it. It's so good in Legacy. So Why isn't Legacy. it good anywhere else? <laughs> well, I would like to take a, a you know, just kind of run-of-the-mill Mardu mid-range list uh, through some leagues, you know, Play a little bit of Dreadhorde Arcanist, maybe some young Pyromancer, some Monastery Mentor, uh, Bevy of One Drops, things like Unearth, um, Thought Seize, Fatal Push, you know, your standard stuff, Bolt, and uh, just see where we end up. Hopefully, I don't run into, you know, any of the Urza Chalice decks. <laughs> Something else, you know, I kind of want to mention uh, is uh, when I was messing around with the, uh, Yor the Urza Yorian build. Uh, with Song Creation, there's this one game actually versus, uh, I believe it was out, is versus Blue Moon, where I resolved a Song of Creation and I just started kind of going off. And three or four spells later, I drew my Monastery Mentor and I casted Mentor and I kept going off and I wound up fizzling. But I had nine monks on the table and like was, you know, like gonna go off again. And so Song of Creation Monastery Mentor is, you know, like it was interesting because. You can cast Song of Creation first, and then assuming you're able to like stay mana positive for a couple spells, you can then find the mentor with the song, and then cast the song, cast the mentor, and then keep going. And so, like, it's kind of a way to, you know, it's a card in your deck that's a payoff for when you can start songing, and then you run into it, and then you cast it, and then like you can win the following turn. So that, you know, having all the wild Song of Creation brews we play, like a lot of them have been like in the Temurkinen, you know, just like where you start going you draw your whole deck pretty much and you just have a huge construct and a huge battlefield and you hope that'll get there next turn uh whereas you know this is kind of a more surefire just like you start going off and then you're just gonna win next turn so that's you know i think i actually might be interested in trying something like this in pioneer because in modern it's a little you know bulky and janky but these are all legal in pioneer if you can just drop yeah. down a, if you can just find a way to get done some creation yeah. and then just start going off and eventually hit your mentor you know that's something that i would be interested in a little more fun than Thassa's Oracle. And, of course, we were back into hyper-greedy four-color space. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, like, it's... 
yeah, I mean, you know, like Blood Moon sucks, but that's actually there's no Blood Moon Pioneer. The mana fixing's terrible, but yeah, but you you know you're already in the right colors for the new Omnath. Oh yeah, I mean that's a no-brainer. You can actually cast Omnath. Uh, you know, you can cast Omnath, get the landfall, get the second landfall trigger, and then you can cast Song off of the landfall trigger, which is like pretty sweet. That's wild, and you're gonna get to your third trigger because um, song gives you an extra land drop. So you, if you have a fetch land in between those, then you've got you hit your three land drops, and they're gonna take four to the face, which is obviously not as significant as the four mana. But. And then the next turn, if everything survives, you know, like you hit your second land drop, boom, you got four mana with the song of creation going. You know, like four mana is a lot. Yeah. Like, you know, that's escape Ura with extra. Then Uro's gonna get you. I mean, a you and drop. I know, though. I mean, if you're untapping with your Song of Creation, it's basically gonna be over <laughs> in, in a well-built Song of Creation deck. That's true. You'll have things like Uro in the graveyard to play out, or or other things of that nature. Yeah, or some Bobbles laying on the field to draw you some extra cards to make sure you don't top deck two lands in a row and just kind of sit there with your song. Yeah. I, I I'm I'm excited to see what shakes out of that. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely leaning I, on Jiggy's insanity this week. Yeah, I mean, I'm, well, this is I'm so into this is very out these good. Piles. Yeah, so I have actually this one that you know is kind of I'm actually pretty proud of it. Like I was messing around actually, so I do have a trophy with a Bant uh, mentor deck uh, in modern. Yeah. And that one looks clean and stable and sane. Yeah, which is you know? probably why I five zero. Then I quickly dropped it. Uh, you know, just <laughs> yeah. You were like, well. I've solved that one. Moving on to uh, the rest of the problems. Yeah, I think this one, it has some... Um, uh, hold on, let me pull up real quick. I think it's, you know, it's just kind of... Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say for my list, this is generally pretty vanilla. Uh, but it is uh, still... Let's see. Do, do, do. Uh, yeah, so this list, uh, MTG Goldfish calls UG, even though it's banned. Uh, but it's you know, kind of like bent good stuff, Emery. It's four Hierarch, four Kinnon, four Stoneforge, because uh, Stoneforge is pretty good. Four Emery, four Mentor, four Uro, so like the, you know, Emery, Uro shell. Oh yeah, this was essentially just like one of our old Urza shells, pretty much. But I took out Urza, and I added Mentor, and I was really surprised with the results. The other thing is uh, four Engineered Explosives, which is like, with Emery, is just amazing removal, and it's crazy. Then four explosives, four bobble, four amber, one aether spell bomb, four drum, then your uh, sword, in this case Sophie, batter skull, and then 18 lands. So this deck actually like felt pretty good and pretty interesting. You know, you have the noble hierarch was pretty nifty because you could go turn two uh, mentor and then with a couple free spells you just kind of go nuts from there. Uh, but you know, like, like Zach said, this is like a little vanilla and a little tame and I was actually kind of uninterested and then I just started going off of this. But I think the coolest one, you know, I think my coolest list is uh, it's a bent. So I kind of took this list and I thought, you know, just like one of the things with this list too, I think they threw a second league and I had a lot of trouble uh, with the you know, decks like Tron or just like all these ad nauseum, which was showing up and just all these non-interactive decks. And, you know, it was sometimes you could get a mentor downturn two and then with a couple of free spells. And so like you could still be able to race these decks, but you know, their draws more often would be your draws. And uh, so I was you know, kind of curious, and uh, I started off with a straight-up blue-green shell that was just, okay, what if we wanted to flip Arayo as fast as possible all the time? And so it was straight-up blue-green, and it had, like, repeals and, like, uh, amber, like, all, I think it had amber, engine explosives, bobble, repeal, spring-leaf drum, 
uh, you know, it was just like straight up blue green and Simic, and it was actually really good at flipping a Raya one, like turn two or turn three. Just so for clarity, for anyone oh, oh, who is yeah, not yeah, thank you, thank intimately you. familiar thank you. with Ereo Soratami Ascended, no, no, <laughs> it's all good. One in a blue for a one-one flying creature, legendary creature, Merfolk monk, Moonfolk monk, Moonfolk monk, because this is a Kamigawa card. Whenever the fourth spell of a turn is played, you flip Ereo Soratami Ascendant. Remember, this isn't Transform. This is a flip card. So if you've never seen one of these, it's a little wild. And this was a cycle from Saviors of Kamigawa where there were creatures that flipped into enchantments. And Ereo's essence is insane because if you manage to play four spells on the turn... You flip it into an enchantment that says counter the first spell played by each opponent each turn. So if Chalice of the Void wasn't good enough for you, this will this will counter anything. It'll just counter the first thing they do every turn on your turn and on their turn. Oh yeah, it's wild because you know like if you flip it, it shuts off them countering spells on your turn, and like then they have to like it taxes their mana and their cards. It's nuts, and you know and like I was just. I was gonna. I was gonna ask. Can I interest you in an Ether Sworn Canonist? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of these like cute little combos. Like it's, uh, yeah, that's actually kind of interesting. Well, so that kind of going with. So I was straight up blue green, and you know, it was actually. I remember I was actually watching Zach's stream as this was happening, and I kind of mentioned like, oh, I've got this new like blue green terrible list. I'm gonna try, and so I took it into a two man queue, and I faced Monored Prowess. I was on the play. In game one, I flipped Araya on turn two, and then game two, I was on the draw, and I also flipped Araya on turn two. My opponent's like, does your deck always do this? And I'm like, I don't know, like, I just started, but it seems good. And so after that promising uh, result, it's like, well, screw it, let's take them to a league. And I went 1-4 in the league, I distinctly remember, but like, they were, everyone was a close game three loss, but it kind of came down to, you can flip Araya, but then what? You know, like, you have Uro and Emery, but like, they're not... They can only do so much. And so I just needed, you know, what's a good win condition for this? And then, you know, it's like, oh, Monastery Mentor. Like, let's go into Bant. Because we were already playing zero CMC things and repeal and everything. So, you know, so then the kind of idea was if you, you know, you flip Arayo and turn pretty quickly. You get down a Mentor. It's pretty well protected from Arayo being flipped. And then you cast a couple spells and, you know, you can just kind of go to town. So this is, you know, I, I'm definitely going to be messing with this list more. Uh, but it's... Yeah, it's you know it's really fun. Like <laughs> flipping Orion on turn two gets you some pretty funny faces. Yeah, I'll bet. Jesus. Yeah, it seems like a great way to harvest some salt from your opponents. Oh yeah, I mean it's. I think I've actually wound up like facing a couple streamers with it, and like watching the replays is like always pretty funny because they're just like like you play Orion, they're just like wait, what is happening? It's just like Mox Amber into repeal, and it's just like oh. But although the worst thing about the deck, the most infuriating thing is that when Arayo transforms, it no longer enables Mox Amber, which is like, mm. you know, just kind of very funny and very, very small thing just with how everything works. But it's right. But I mean, I mean, you're complaining after you've flipped your Arayo, <laughs> right? Like, come on. It's oh, yeah. Fine. You're going to be fine. Every Everything's going to be okay, bud. No doubt. But yeah, I mean, this deck, I really like it too because it plays for repeal. And repeal is like, I think it's a great magic card, but also. In the with the, having the Kinnon shell, cause these are all Kinnon decks because you know I love Kinnon and Kinnon makes a lot of mana. Like, but uh, you know you can repeal, repealing one of your zero drops to trigger, uh, 
to trigger your or flip your IO is nice. There's also, you know, like turboing out mentor. Yeah, look at the the line. Like, check this out. Like, you play Arayo on turn two, right? Then you play Mox Amber, repeal the Mox Amber, play the Mox Amber. That's it. You flipped your Arayo because Arayo was the first spell. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. Like, that's yeah. so easy. There's so many. There's also uh, there's turn one drum, and then you have turn two uh, Kinnan Arayo, and then like. Uh, the Kinnan, Arayo, and then just, like, another spell and or appeal or, like, two yeah. more spells, like, Bobble, E.E. Wild. Like, yeah, there's... it. Arayo flips a lot of the time on yeah. turn two. And, you know, like, I've, I've you know, sometimes be, like, turn three, turn four, you're hellbent already. You draw Arayo, and just with Emery and all this other nonsense, you can actually just, like, I flipped Arayo from hellbent before. The other amazing thing is that it, it counts your opponent's spells yeah. on your turn. So, like... You, there's so many gotchas where your opponent will try and counter one of your spells and then like it'll flip Arayo. I've actually seen a prowess opponent flip my Arayo for me on their turn because like, they didn't realize that it does that. So there's, there's a whole bunch of gotcha and like it's just a hilarious yeah. card. That seems like some solid tech uh, against a field full of prowess. And actually with some of these landfall decks, you know, people are planning on jamming their Omnath and then getting their mana and casting a bunch more spells. Uh, Maybe this is some some secret tech that we can bust out and stomp all over some Omnaths with. I mean, I'm a little worried because, like, Arayo, you're paying two mana for a 1-1. One, one. And, like, you know, if you thought Mentor dies to everything, you know, just, like, Mentor dies to a faint breeze. But, I mean, like, Arayo will die to a sneeze, you know. Like, just actual like, factual <laughs> Lavadar. Just the, the yeah, scourge like, yeah. of my life. <laughs> yes, yeah, but that lava dart is one spell being cast. So you just need yeah. two more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you need three more. Yeah. If you, I guess well, that's true. Like if, if you, you cast the Arayo. If you have your instance, you could flip Arayo in response to a removal spell, and I believe it would fizzle the removal spell. Yeah, it would. Kind of interesting. Um, so like that, that. There's there's a few different ways you could do that. That's yeah. yeah that, that's wild, you know, and that definitely is something I want to try out. Yeah, I definitely recommend that. You know, the thing is, like, my, you know, I kind of get to this. The other cool thing about the list is it was actually pointed out to me in the Sunny Days Discord when I was talking with them is that, you know, like, you may as well just free roll Giganta as a companion because you're not playing any double cost spells. And which is actually a really nice fail state because, you know, some in these Kinnon shells, you sometimes wind up with a whole bunch of mana and all this fuzz. Or, like, you'll flip a Ryo, you have a bunch of mana, and you have nothing, and now you just put your 5-5 five, five beat stick into your hand, and, like, you're pretty good to go. Yeah, man, Colossipede gets the job done. Yo, yeah, it's amazing. Like, it, you know, I actually, I really like these companions. They're fun, like, fun having these little crutches you can lean on. I hate Gigantha. <laughs> Gigantha never gets used for its ability. It just, it's just Gigantapede. It's so, it's uh, so stupid. Why didn't they give it a... It has text on it? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Nib was, exactly. Nib was and the, the only. text on it is so garbage. Like what? Why? Why did they do that to it? Like it's not. Uh, anyway, I have a whole rant. Oh yeah. Then I want to mention one last shell I've been working on, which is I consider this my new baby because like I just love it. So I went into four colors because like oh you know like when you have Emery and all this stuff like they kept killing all my dudes, which was kind of not fun. Like oh you know like we have all these. Three CMC powerful cards like Uro, uh, Mentor, and uh, Emery. And it's like, well, what if we just add some Unearth and see what happens? Like, you know, Unearth can get us back our things. Emery mills things. And so I tried a four-color version with black with Unearth. And, like, Unearth was the nuts, like the absolute nuts. Because, 
especially if you have a mentor, like you can get back your mentor. Sometimes you get these nut starts where you like, you manage to get down to turn one, like you'll have like turn one, uh, land, mox, bobble, emery, and the springleaf drum. And like if emery milled like a mentor, you can use a drum to cat, tap emery for black and cast unearth on your mentor and you're just like off to the races. Uh, so that was, you know, really fun and interesting. But the one trouble I was having with these style of decks is that you can't, it's very hard to balance the mana bases and all the spells. Like you don't, there seems to be a pretty fine line between flooding out and like being mana screwed in these lower resource style decks. And so, you know, in very modern, what is the best way to fix a mana screw? Renin 6, which also enables Mox Amber, which is sweet. Uh, which means we, with Unearth and everything, we have to push them into five colors, and which I kind of missed a little bit. Turns out the answer is Glimmer Void. Glimmer Void is like crazy. Like it's, if you, I mean, you're gonna have blowouts. Like I've been blown out a couple times, but you know, it's kind of the life, the life you pay. But between all the chromatic spheres and the Moxes and the spring leaf drums, uh, and the engine explosives and the bobbles that you don't have to crack you can keep it up pretty well And then you know just kind of fixing all your colors and if you can just establish a red and six for a couple turns You know, you're totally set and good to go. Yeah, I actually ran glimmer void in um, Some of the urza decks that I was playing and I totally agree I, I found them all like it. It's just solid. I never had a problem keeping it online. Uh, hadn't run into a whole lot of Ponza, so I wasn't too worried about blood moons or anything like that. And yeah, like you said, sometimes you get blood mooned or or whatever. Sometimes you know somebody has that shattering <laughs> spree, and well, goodbye. But you know that's the price oh, yeah, you pay. You know, sometimes you even get to pick up your killed glimmer void with Renin Six. You can try and give it another go if you have to. Oh, there but you the go. one thing I found interesting about these decks is like, you know, since I'm in five clubs already, I added two Luris in addition to the Emery's and like with Luris and Mentor and Emery, like you can with like chromatic spheres and stuff, it snowballs so fast. It is just crazy just like having both of them around. And so I really, you know, I'm digging this shell. I mean, it's definitely, I still think it can use a couple, a little tuning, and I'm probably going to be focusing mostly on uh, this five-color shell, which will have lists to, you know, like casting random six from the graveyard, like unearthing Luris, and then casting random six from your graveyard is, like, pretty sick, and just, you know, doing all these random six triggering mentor. That's pretty fun. Like, all these, you know, just, I mean, it's greedy as hell, and you do get blown out sometimes, but... You know, if I can just find a way to not get blown out so much and make it a little more consistent, you know, I think it could be something pretty powerful. Wild. Wild stuff, dude. Yeah. That. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is... <laughs> we're modern, you know? Like, I mean... Oh, just so sad. Astrolabe, man. Why do they take our Astrolabe? It'd be so beautiful in these decks. Well, we're going to Kaldheim, and, you know, it's going to be Norse-themed, so... You know, there's some speculation about snow. You know, oh, who knows? Maybe we'll get the the fixed astrolabe. Oh, don't don't tease me like that. I you know I think that just a one mana cantripping artifact would probably be enough at this point. You know, the the color fixing for Urza. Yeah, the color fixing was important, but the cantripping I think is one of the big things that that it really just changed the game in keepable hands and you know kept you fueled up so even in a mentor list like this being able to just cast a, a one cmc thing that that cantrips on etb uh, you know keeping your hand full so you can just keep 
turn in through your deck that I think seems very powerful. And, you know, obviously that's just complete speculation. I doubt that they will actually do that, but you know, they've printed <laughs> other things. Oko, you know, once upon a time. <laughs> so we can hope, we can hope. Yeah, that, that'd be sweet. I'd be game, you know, like it's, yeah, give me, give me those free artifacts, give me those cheap artifacts. Oh, well, I feel like eventually we're going to get a return to, um, new phyrexia or new phyrexia is going to invade somewhere oh, no. so like obviously it's not coming this year because we've had all of the sets um announced for the coming year um so if anyone's not aware of that you can go find uh all the information out um they've given us a lot of information about the next year of magic products and it's actually very exciting um in general so we got some some cool new stuff coming but uh maybe the next year after that it'll finally be time to give us a broken artifact block again Modern Horizons 2, baby, let's go. That's true. I am super <laughs> yeah. stoked for Modern Horizons 2. I know there's a lot of people out there who are not fans of what Modern Horizons did. Well, one did to both Modern and Legacy. Uh, for me, I, I'm a huge fan of it. I like it a lot. Um, and a lot of the cards that have come out over the last year, um, even though some of them have been problematic, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of the way those formats have been shaken up a little bit. Um, and even possibly be made more accessible, um, even though there's been some casualties, like Mox Opal. <laughs> Rest in peace, beautiful Mox Opal. That's right. All right. Well, I think we've got some uh, exciting lists for each of us to test out. Or at least ideas to turn into lists. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, Jiggy, Jiggy supplied a number of wonderful lists, <laughs> some of which I'm definitely going to check out. Oh yeah. If you if you want if you want some more thrown together pretty fast, let me know. I'm really good at brewing jank fast. I can't guarantee it'll be good, <laughs> but I can guarantee it'll be fun. No, you've been hitting the blink moth pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Can't help it. You know, it's just just my nature. Yeah, baby. It's the good stuff. Alright, so before we get out of here, Brian, you got any bumps? You got any dumps? Uh yeah, I got a I got a bump this week. Uh shout out to the Budget Magic cast. Uh I was just listening to I guess it it must have been two weeks ago's episode this evening as I was doing some dishes and uh one of the hosts, Scott, was talking about why he enjoys budget ma- budget magic and part of it for him is the brewing and for using, you know, not necessarily optimal cards and how he thinks that it's fun because it creates new and interesting game states and, you know, sort of diverging from these optimal lists is just, it's, it's entertaining. And, uh, I don't know that really like, uh, that resonated. I, I feel the same way, you know, I, dig through bargain bins looking for weird cards or you know dig through piles <laughs> of old artifacts uh you you'll often find me late night buying you know 25 cent rares on ebay because they have some what seemed to be interesting text at the time but then i wake up in the morning <laughs> and re- reread the card only to realize why nobody plays them um, a very sobering <laughs> realization that mox tantalite is garbage oh Oh, oh, oh man! Don't say that. Yeah. I have my playset. I so badly want to play. If only you could suspend it from the graveyard. I uh, yeah, exactly. But I yeah, I gotta I gotta agree with that because some of the best magic memories I have are from brewing for um, formats that my local game shop would um, set up for their Sunday tournaments. That they'd have these interesting. Um, interesting formats and like we did tribal forever ago, and the requirement it was you had to play twenty 
creatures of a specific tribe. And <laughs> while a lot of people chose and were successful with, you know, the established tribes, at the time, the human subtype was brand new. And they hadn't errated everything else to be humans yet um, that was historically supposed to be one. And I built a four-color humans deck that was basically, like, mirrored in block and uh, made made top four with that. And that was, like, one of the coolest things I ever did. And I helped my buddy um, build dwarf charbelcher. And we actually got um, Dwarven Recruiter banned from that format because Goblin Recruiter <laughs> was banned because they knew Goblin Recruiter was was busted, especially. Um, but Dwarven Recruiter, which lets you stack any number of dwarves, I think that's what the card is called. But um, we, we had it comboed yeah. up with Charbelcher. So you could one-shot kill them after you set that up. And uh, he made top four as well. With oh, that deck. So, like, that's sick. That's yeah, kind of hot. Yeah, I helped him brew that up. So that was like really, really cool. So shout-out to my buddy Rob. If you ever listen to this buddy, got some great memories of playing Magic as a teenager. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely if you haven't checked out the Budget Magic cast, uh, it's, it's worth giving a listen to. Um, and as far as dumps go... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good this week. I don't, I don't really have any dumps. Um, yeah. You got good air. Woo-hoo! Yeah, I know. Being able to get outside the house is, uh, is a game changer. Yeah, I was going to say, no, <laughs> no longer are we dumping on, uh, on smoky air quality in, uh, California. Yep. Yep. Hopefully the rest of the West Coast is, uh, is soon to have clean air as well. Arun, any, any bumps, any dumps? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, definitely bumps to getting unhealth, getting unhealthy for sensitive population air tomorrow. Like, it's definitely not ideal, but it means I can walk the dog for more than 10 minutes, which is pretty exciting. And I bet Fig is very excited, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, once again, bumps, bumps to us for doing this again. You know, like sometimes I think actually I read somewhere that the second in terms of like recurring meetings, the second is actually is always the hardest. And once you get over the second, it's kind of like the hump. So definitely uh, bumps to us uh, and uh, dumps to not being able to go to my tomatoes. You know, I, I have a huge harvest. Like I also haven't watered the plot in like two weeks. And so, you know, it's definitely not ideal. Uh, so that's why I'd say it's dumps. But, you know, eventually I get to go there and eventually I get all my tomatoes and probably make a huge batch of tomato jam, uh, which I'm pretty excited for. Tomato jam, huh? Oh, yeah. It's Mark Bittman's recipe on New York Times. Maybe we can link it. It's amazing. I was, was going like... to say, that sounds like red pepper jelly to me. Like, you threw together some words that don't really belong. <laughs> um, but I've heard oh, it, it I've heard it's... it enough times in my life that I'm like, well, it must be something somewhere. It's so good. Like, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll give share the recipe. It's so good. Like, I put it on my breakfast sandwiches every morning. Mmm, so good, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sweet Wild. And so spicy. How about you, Zach? Um, my, my, my current bump is um, for the wonderful um, St. Lawrence Market in downtown Toronto um, with its bevy of uh, just different food emporiums. It's, um, it's basically a big um, in-air mar- or uh, indoors market and uh, with all sorts of little stalls, and they all sort of have different artisan foods and, and all sorts of different stuff. So I, I went to, into Toronto for the first time since the lockdown um, yesterday and I got to see some of my friends and, uh, but I spent most of the day just uh, tooling around the city. I bought new socks, big bump to new socks. The feeling (laughs) of new socks is rivaled only by the feeling of socks fresh out of the dryer, but new socks are amazing. And uh, so I picked up spices so that I can make a pumpkin spice syrup. Um, 
uh, almonds so I can try making orgeau. And then um, I picked up lemons. And uh, so my, my other big bump is to uh, a recipe for lemonade that I got out of uh, a book I'm reading called Imbibe, um, which is sort of a history of uh, North American cocktails. And um, so th- this like recipe for lemonade is from like the 1860s or something like that. And it's just like you put oh, your lemon peels in a jar with sugar and then you put it on your porch for a couple hours in the heat. And uh, I'll, I'll see if I can link up that, that recipe because it's like super, super easy to make your own lemonade at home. And uh, I tried it out a little bit earlier. It was delicious. Oh, it sounds so good. You know, anytime you let things ferment, like that's when the good stuff happens. Yeah. And dumps to the uh, recent tiny um, increase in, uh, in uh, COVID-19 cases in Ontario and, and Canada at large. <laughs> um, Canada is doing great. But uh, we just got to be, you know, vigilant as we're opening things up more so. And, uh, you know, big shout outs to everyone who does stay vigilant. And uh, I know it's easy to get exhausted or complacent with these things, but they are really important. And uh, as a planet, we're all going to get through this a lot faster uh, if we all pay attention where we can. All right, guys. Well, catch you next time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll be back with uh, tales of mentor wildness and woe oh yeah hopefully some sweet sweet screenshots you know the currency of magic online oh man we gotta we gotta get the the salt record going for areo lockouts (laughs) (laughs) i'll catch you guys next time Thanks for listening to episode two of the Serum Visions podcast. If you like what we do and want to get in touch with us, you can find us at twitter.com slash serumvisionsmtg and follow us to see screenshots of Mentor Madness and Luscious Lemonade. Or you can email us at serumvisionspod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. successfully scummed. Oh yeah. Ooh.